Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad that you're tuning into our summer series titled On Your Mark. As we go through the book of Mark, equipping you on how to run strong this summer for Christ, we pray this message impacts you where you're at and where you're going this summer. Thanks for listening. to have all of you guys in the house and hopefully this morning uh, you want to do this you want to lift your hands up high you want to lay your heart lay your life open and bare for God's transforming power to do something because that's the desire of your heart I've got some good news God will do just that he will do just that and so we kicked off our summer series last week called on your mark we're working through the book of Mark because my heart's desire, Pastor Dom, this leadership team, this church, this faith family, our desire is for this. We want you to run well this summer. Summer's a busy time, right? I and mean, people, people are out and about. People are on the move. Um, like I said last week, people want to go to the beach just to make sure that the ocean is still there. You know, every year they try to go there and see if it still exists. But as we're out and about, it's a, it's a great thing for the summer because it gives us so many missional opportunities. Opportunities to do exactly what Jesus commanded us to do. And that is just to live out our faith as we are on the run. Amen. Courtney has done that. Parker has done that. Other people have done that and has impacted specifically this young man. What can you do with your run? So this morning we're going to dig in. We're going to dig in to um, how to be intentional. Why? Why do we run? Mark. Lighter back tells us why. Why Christians should run well. And he writes this. He said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the grand story of the universe. It alone rightly captures the imagination. It fires the soul for greater things. This is the story we must learn, we must live, and we must seek to tell others often. Do I have any friends in here this morning? Amen? That's it. So the gospel of Mark is written to that end. It's for that reason. And it would be impossible for me to um, um, exegete, to unpack every scripture in Mark this summer. It's just not enough time in the next seven weeks. Um, so what I want to do is chronologically, I want to work through the book of Mark and take stories, to take accounts, to take narratives from Mark's perspective that is a kind of a head scratcher. You know, sometimes like, what in the world is going on in that particular situation? And I want to unpack those kind of head-scratcher situations, those, those narratives, in order to reinforce the theme of Mark. And this is on your sermon guide, and this was the theme that was also on your sermon guide last week. This is the theme of the Gospel of Mark, and it's this. Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God, Savior of the world. That's why Mark is running. That's why he is living. And so we're going to dig in and through the book of Mark, starting in Mark chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse number 9. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, if it's digitally, open that up. If it's um, the written word, um, you know, you guys open that. If you just have it memorized by heart, let me know. I'll give you a gold star because that's impressive. Let's stand together as we read Mark chapter 9, Mark 1, starting in verse number 9. If 
You're there, say I'm there. Y'all smile for me. Come on, Jesus is alive. It's a church family. Amen? Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says this. In those days, well, what days? The days that John the Baptist was baptizing. In that period of time, which is probably about six months. Sometime in the last six months, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, can't come out out of something unless you're first completely under something. Y'all with me? As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like, y'all say like, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Oh man, this is, this is rich. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, that you give us the desire to want to meet with you. And so, God, I pray that you would do just that. Lord, you would honor the desires of our heart when our hearts are in alignment with your will. And you will to seek and to save. You are an evangelistic, missional God. From the moment that you broke the heavens and created the earth and saw the fall of man, you have been in relentless pursuit after us. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you set the example for us as coming to the earth as a form of a man. Not to be esteemed, but to kneel and to honor and obey your will. So, God, I pray that this morning... Your will be done in our lives and in our midst and in our hearts. God, thank you, Lord, for rescuing, for calling, for allowing Isaiah Gerald to step into what you have for his life. And God, I pray that you would hold him clean. You would hold him close, Lord. And you would make your voice ever powerfully evident in his life as he runs his race to make your glory known. And God, that's the prayer for us this morning, that we would open your word and it would transform us. It would renew us, refresh us, and energize us to go out and tell of your sweet love. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen and amen. All right, so if we are going to run well for the gospel this summer, we need to understand where the starting line is. Every race has a starting line. Every race has a place that you need to start from. You know, if you, if you uh, enter into a race, one of the things that hopefully you would want to know is where, where's the start, right? And if you think about a race, when you move to the start, everybody wants to get as close to the starting line as possible. Y'all with me? It would be illogical to, 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 to overpay to enter a road race Get your T-shirt and then go, okay, how can I get, how can I get uh, in the back of the line? How can I move to the greatest distance away from the starting line as possible? That's dumb with a capital D. Because hopefully you've signed up to actually give your very best. It'd be illogical to enter a race like that. That is not how you would expect to start a race. Well, what we just read right here in Mark chapter 1 is God does what we least expect. 
with God, expect the unexpected. Anybody say amen to that? You better expect the unexpected. Anybody in here, is there anybody in here that, um, that never expected, that says, I never expected my life to look the way it does right now? Show of hands. Yeah, some people here. Yeah, everybody. Anybody say, you know what? Um, I never expected three weeks ago or three years ago or ten years ago that I would be. I never dreamed that I would be sitting in church 213. Shane Marks, not a shame. Anybody? Rodrigo, Hot Rod, these guys right here. I'll, I'll get, I, yeah, I'll raise my hand. Ten years ago, if you would have told me that I would be pastoring this church, I would say only God. But guess what? Only God. Which lets me know that, that, that God is in full control and I want to be in the center of His will ten years from now. Never underestimate because with God we have to expect the unexpected. And so that's what we see right here. Jesus comes on the scene to rewrite redemptive history in a way that you would not expect. But should we be surprised? No. The answer there is no. We should not be surprised because that's what the Lord does. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 55 says this. I'm actually going to start in verse 6. I know that 7 and 8 is up there, so I'm getting there in just a second. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let, let the wicked one abandon his ways and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. That's what this young man believed and that's what he did this morning. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, and it is, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is the know-it-all. Okay, that was one of the messages last series. I spy with my little eye. I heard a story of a college student who wrote home to his parents. And in the letter he said this, Dear Mom and Dad, I thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a girl named Jen. She quit high school after the 11th grade to get married. About a year ago, she got divorced. We've been dating for about two months and planning to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into her apartment. I think she might be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, but I hope to go back some point in the future. Not what the parents expected. Y'all with me? On the next page, he continued, Mom and Dad, I want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C in French and I failed math and I need more money for tuition. Man, he softened that blow, didn't he? He softened that blow. You know what, I'm not, I'm not sure that that solution was right and it was strange and it was unexpected, but I have a really strong feeling that it worked. They were, mom and dad were like, what do you want me to, you know, how much do you need in your account? Some of God's solutions come in the strangest ways. Can I get an amen? Man, it does. 
God's plans are mysterious to us, and that's okay. I, you know, that's, I, I'm okay with that. I don't, have to, I don't have to have all the answers because I know I don't have all the knowledge. So what I do want to do is I want to do what I can do, and I want to know what I can know, and I want to just rest in that. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Notice it doesn't say rejoice in the Lord for everything because there are things in our life that we just don't want to rejoice over. But we can rejoice in the Lord despite what we're going through. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, church. Let's say it together. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever Whatever, whatever, that covers everything. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, worthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. We don't have all the answers because we don't have all the knowledge. So we're going to do what we can do. And we're going to know what we can know. We're going to submit where we can submit. And we're going to rest that God still has the whole world in his hands. Amen? And so from the first verse of Mark chapter 1, we know that the gospel of Mark is declaring that a king is about to take his throne. So remember, Mark's gospel from last week, we kicked off this series. Mark's gospel was written to a Roman audience. And so if anybody knew about a king taking his throne, it was the Romans. Because they were all about kings and powers and authority. And so they would understand the concept of a new king coming to power. But nobody, nobody expected Christ to come on the scene like this. Nobody expected him to take his earthly throne like this. Because expect God to do the unexpected. And so the baptism of Jesus, it shows us that God's ways are not our ways, but they are always perfect. And so this is one of those kind of head scratcher things, the baptism of Jesus. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of need to kind of dig in the context of it to help us run well this summer. Maybe you've read through You've read this account. You're thinking, Dove, John, you know, Jordan River, you know, what, what is going on here? Well, there's so many things that we can learn from this unexpected event that will help us run well for the gospel this summer. I'm telling you, church, let's, let's run well while we have the opportunity. While the Lord is near, let's run well. So look at, look at the first thing. Number one is this. It's, it's on your sermon notes. Look out in the unexpected locations. Look out in the unexpected locations. The king is on the throne. I like that image right there. I found it this week because it looks like a crown. It's like a water crown. So it's a reminder that the king is now on the throne. Let's look at verse 9. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. I'm going to have to roll these up because I'm about to get after it. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus rolls in to be baptized by John in the Jordan. From Nazareth to where? He was from Galilee, and he was rolling into a different location. The beginning of Jesus' ministry is a perfect example that we should look out for the unexpected. Amen? The focus here, it's a shift from the announcement that he's going to arrive at some point to him actually appearing on the scene to begin his public ministry. Jesus said he was coming, and he did. Noah said a flood was coming. Guess what? It did. You know how I know? Because most of our world is covered in water. I mean, you know, people are going to Mars to look for a speck of water to prove that Mars was flooded, but they denied the fact that our earth was flooded. You know what? Jesus, the, Isaiah says in the Old Testament that Jesus would come as a baby in Bethlehem, born of a virgin in a manger. And guess what? He did. Jesus said that he would come on the scene as the king, and he did. Jesus said that he would be killed and crucified and raised on the third day, and guess what? He did. If you read the book, and I have the end of it, it said Jesus will come again. So I have to believe that he is because he's a savior of his word. Why would we be surprised when people stand and say the end is near? That's not a freak. <laughs> They just read their Bible, right? So we need to be prepared for that. He is actually appearing on the scene to begin his public ministry. And because Mark is keeping with what the Romans would understand about the king, Mark presents, um, Mark presents coming on the scene of Jesus as like this royal coronation ceremony. Remember, a king is coming. When a king is coming, what do you do? You, you make it known. But what's interesting is when Jesus, the king, takes the throne, he didn't do it in Rome. He didn't do it in um, Jerusalem. He didn't do it in Egypt. He didn't do it where you would expect kings to be crowned. But he came in a rugged wasteland in the wilderness of Judea near the Dead Sea. Basically, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Kind of like where Ashley and Jeff Dietzel live. Y'all raise your hand right there. They, they, yeah, because they live out in the middle of nowhere. You don't accidentally go to their house. Am I telling a lie? Beautiful out there, beautiful farm. Out in the middle of nowhere. The Jordan River, see, is the main river, river that leads, leads from Israel. And it goes all the way down from the Sea of Galilee, which is about the size of Washington, D.C. And it goes all the way down the middle of Israel, all the way down to the Dead Sea which is the lowest place on earth. Y'all think about this. The exact spot where Jesus was baptized is unknown, but it was near the southern part of the river, river near Jericho. And so it was probably, theologians you know, have put this timeline together, it was probably a summer day in the year 26 AD. And to John's surprise, Jesus rolls up on him as people are turning to the Lord. 
Y'all see the scene going on? And this is very significant because it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Even though John and, and Jesus were cousins, we know that from Luke. Elizabeth flipping in the womb. Y'all remember that? We'll probably talk about that at Christmas. Even though they were cousins, the Bible implies in John chapter 1, verse 33, that he did not recognize Jesus. Which means one of two things. Which means they've never met, or they had not met in a very long time. And so this moment, this meeting at the water's edge, it had to be a divine appointment. God was shuffling. He was putting all the pieces together. And I want you to know that this summer as you were out and about, this summer as you were running for the gospel, be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for that one-time chance opportunity. Maybe that, that one-time one happenstance, that one meeting that may be unexpected to you. Y'all listen to me now. That may be unexpected to you, but might be exactly what God wants to do. You ever had those moments where you just, you just look around and think, this is weird. This is really out of the ordinary. What, what are you doing here? This ha God, you have to be up to something more than just what I can see in front of me. That happened to us Thursday night. We, uh, we celebrated Debbie's dad's birthday uh, in Madison uh, at a restaurant. And as we were leaving, we were parked around the side, uh, and they had the stone wall that holds the dumpster, right? And so as we're walking to the car, this, this guy was seated against the, um, the wall, and he had a couple of to-go plates. And as we go by, I made eye contact with him, and he stands up. And he walks over to me, and he says, how was your meal? Now, I had been, you know, preparing this this week. So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I want to live this stuff out just like you. So I'm thinking I'm intentional about God showing up in unexpected places. And in that moment, that's exactly what I was thinking. This, is, this guy is weird. This is a weird situation. But I'm going to lean into this, and I'm going to see what's going on. Well, he had a, he had a shirt with a logo of the restaurant we ate. And I'm thinking, well, why are you out here? Just sitting, he looked like he was ready to get picked up. And we just struck up a conversation. He was telling me about his kids, and he was telling me that he was from Florida, and he just, you know, he was in a new relationship, and he found himself in Madison. And I'm asking all these questions. I'm trying to find common ground. I'm getting ready to pounce, you know what I'm saying? I'm looking for that open door, and I'm looking around for Debbie. She knows exactly what's going on. So she's got the girl. She's like, all right, Daddy's about to, come on, Let, let's Let's create this space. I'm like, why are they walking around in circles? And so we just had a very sweet conversation, and he just was opening up. It was a divine moment right there, a chance for us just to step into that. So what I'm telling you is expect God to do the unexpected. Don't overlook the details. Don't overlook the fact that Isaiah is working with, with Tim at Masters and then Parker's home and he's poor and he needs a job. He knows Tim and it works out. He meets Isaiah and God is putting all of these pieces together. This, this born square trio right here, this is not an accident. God is in the details, right? Amen. So what I'm telling you is, as you're running well this summer, maybe it's a flat tire. Why, Lord, do I have a flat tire on 75 South? Why, Lord? Look for him. Maybe it's a teenager, you know, that just appeared at your house with one of your kids. What is this kid doing? I didn't realize they lived in the neighborhood. 
Maybe it's an unexpected person that shows up to an event that you had planned and everything in you wants to go, I don't have enough food, I'm freaking out, what are you doing here, I don't know you, this is going to ruin my vibe. Maybe God put them there. That's what I'm trying to say. God works in the unexpected. Maybe, maybe summer throws you a curveball that you didn't see coming, but I want you to know, church, don't miss the trees for the forest. Write this down. <clears throat> Be on the lookout for God to work in unexpected locations. Be on the lookout for God to work in unexpected locations. And goodness, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody. I love to get those texts. You'll never believe what happened. I ran into, you know, this is what God did. This is what I, where I stepped into. You'll never believe. It just fans our flame of our faith, right? When we're caught by surprise, let's be extra sensitive to God's spirit. That was my prayer this week. When I'm caught by surprise, God, what are you doing here? See, John never expected to see Jesus so far south. But because John was living right for God, he could see what God was doing right in front of him. Did you get that? Do I have any friends in here this morning? Because he was living right in relationship with God, he could see what God was doing right in front of him. He didn't miss it because he was intentional. See, Mark's audience was not Jewish. We've already talked about that. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And so Mark had to explain that Nazareth was this small community located in the region of Galilee, which was full of Gentiles. Look at verse 9 again. Every detail is important. Verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Why would Mark write this? Why would he put this detail? Because he's writing to Romans who had no idea exactly where Galilee was. Why that was important. And so he's explaining this. He's explaining this to a, a community that wasn't Jewish. He said, hey, it's a small community located in the region of Galilee, which was full of Gentiles, non-Christians, non-Jews. And this was the case because when the Assyrians took over the land to which the Jews lived in 722 B.C., they kicked them all out. They deported them. And the Arabs moved into the land. But when the Assyrians fell to the Persians, they allowed the Jews to come back. But when they got back to, um, to Galilee, the culture was mixed. You see what I'm saying? I guarantee you, if your neighborhood is emptied out, somebody will move into your house. And if you're allowed to come back, you'll be like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? This is where I lived at some point. And so there will be this, this conflict, naturally, because now two people are in a house that's divided. And this is important for us because the Jews of the south to where John was baptizing in the region of Judea didn't have a mixed culture like the region of the north. And so they saw those Jews in that mixed culture as, um, as a lower class of society. They were infested with non-Jews. The Bible tells us that in John 4, that even the people in the south, when they heard that the Messiah had come and he was from Nazareth, what did they say? Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Why did they say that? Because it was mixed. It was across the tracks. Okay? It was from the south side of the kingdom. 
That would make Jesus a nobody from nowhere. But the time had come for the servant king to ascend to the public stage. It was time for the king to show up and to show out. And so the fact that Jesus came from an insignificant village in a forgotten region on the fringes of Jewish society tells us, and I want you to get this, tells us that in God's economy, great ministry can be done in locations that the world sees as insignificant. Don't overlook the small stuff. God is in the details. Is a landscape supply place an insignificant place for ministry? Absolutely not. Is the middle of nowhere an insignificant place of ministry? No. Is your house an insignificant place of ministry? No. Where you work, where you go. Those, we have a prayer team that prays all week at different places in Newton and Rockdale County. And Miss Sherry Hutchinson can testify there are no insignificant places that that tent has popped up, is it? No, God is drawing the net. Write this down. Sometimes God does his best work off the beaten path of what is trending. Amen? Side note, what is trending is not always true. The fact is this, that God will change your surroundings in order to change your life. I am testimony to that. God will change your surroundings to change your life. So don't overlook the purpose of the unexpected that you find yourself in this summer. Because if you belong to Christ, you will feel out of place because this is not our home. Amen, church? You'll look around and you're like, what am I doing in this insignificant place? I just always feel like I'm kind of on the outside. Like I'm outside the circle. Why is that? Well, I want you to know that don't stop looking to serve the Savior in that moment. Because He could possibly be preparing you to go public in a new way. That's what Mark was, was trying to explain here. That the path to God, back to God was now open. There was a new path. And it was open for business. But the announcement didn't come with a press conference. You know, it, it, you know it, it didn't come with all this fanfare. It didn't come with this parade. You know, it didn't come with, a, with, with, with announcements and, and with, a, with a feast. But it came with an unexpected baptism. And so if you want to run well this summer, I want to tell you to... to Look out for God to show up in unexpected locations. There's a second thing, though. <clears throat> if you want to run well this summer, yeah, you have to be on the lookout, but you have to stand out with pure motivations. If you're with me, say I am. Pure motivations. Check your heart. Those pure motivations. Look at verse 9, uh, we're going to go 9 through 11, we're going to read it again. This is our text for today. In those days, we know what those days were, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, we know why, and he was baptized in the Jordan River. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. So when I read this, really try to dig into it, the text says that Jesus came down to be baptized by
by John. Why in the world was John baptizing Jews? This was bizarre. This, this was not standard operating procedure. This, this didn't happen. <clears throat> there was some ceremonial cleansing in Judaism. But full immersion was not one of them. That's not what they did. The closest thing that the Jews had to compare baptism to was when a Gentile would convert to Judaism and they would go through some kind of form of, of immersion and cleansing to signify that entrance. So for John to call the Jews to be baptized in a way that the Gentiles would have, would have been used, that would have been very offensive. Like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's what they do. That's not what I do. Because they thought they were better, and they thought they were chosen, and they thought they were, were elite. Y'all with me? And so, there's arrogance here. Y'all see that arrogance? And this is what Jesus came for. To level the playing field for all, so that all might come to know the Lord and return back to the glory of the Father and give Him the worship that is due. Y'all, that's, that's been the goal of God since the moment of eternity. He wants our worship. You know, He asks, the, why won't you love me? Why won't you worship me? That's the goal for us all along, is just to worship. Worship is basically putting Him above ourselves. And when we don't do that, what we do is we act like we're God, like we're worshiping ourselves, and there are consequences to that. Amen? When we thwart the authority of God. We have any idea? This is no ordinary individual we're dealing with. This is the Creator. Lord, meet us in this place. Why? Because without meeting with our Creator, we have no hope. I mean, just look around. Lives are a mess around us. Right? Just swipe, light, look, flip. The culture is a mess around us because people refuse to allow, allow the master to, 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 to come from the Messiah. That's why life is a mess. Because priorities are, 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 are out of order. And so worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of our life. That's where Mark was. This is it. Give the king the worship. Missions is not our ultimate goal of the church. Yes, we should go. Yes, we should go locally. We should go regionally. We should go globally. Yes, we should cross the street. Yes, we should cross the borders. But that is not the goal. The goal is worship. That's it. If you worship all the other things, you have no choice but to want to do with fresh zeal and excitement. But if you fail to worship... You got nothing. And everything will start to kind of unravel from there. See, John's baptism, and, and this is important. John's baptism was a sign of repentance for sinners as a declaration that they had forsaken their rebellion and they had turned their lives back to worshiping God alone. That was the public demonstration of Isaiah's moment. It was a public demonstration of turning, a new allegiance to worship. But Jesus was the sinless Son of God, right? I mean, what is going on here? And John knew that. 
That's why he, he, he says this is, this is the Lamb of God. He, he's spotless. He knew that he was undefiled by sin, which is why in Matthew 3 we see that John refused to baptize Jesus. He's like, I'm not baptizing you. It's like, I'm not signing my autograph. You sign your autograph, okay? You know, you go to a Braves game and you see a player, you're not going to say, you know, they're going to hand you a ball and say, hey, can you sign your autograph for me? No, it's out of order. We know. We know who the attention should be on right now. John knows that. He knows that there was no need for Jesus to be baptized because Jesus was God. So this is where the kind of head scratcher comes in. Why did Jesus demand to be baptized? He said, no, 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 no. You're going to baptize me. I'm coming in whether you're ready or not. Take your sandals off if you want to. Pitch a fit if you want to. Get mad if you want to. I can take it. I'm coming in the water, baby. And so John was there. He's like, okay. This is why. Because Jesus wanted to live in perfect alignment to the will of the heavenly Father. See, it was, God had given John the instructions to baptize people as a symbol of their submission to God. So yeah, there was a sin element, but it was really a submission element. That's where it all falls, right there. A submission element. And so Yes, Jesus didn't have to get baptized because he was turning from sin, but because Jesus desired to be in, to, to fulfill God's requirements for righteousness, he wanted it to happen in every area. He wanted to come under full submission to the Father. And so Jesus submitted to be consistent with God's standard so he could be in perfect alignment with the will of God. That's the reason that he made the trip. Jesus' obedience was comprehensive and it was complete. And it was life lived different so he could make a difference. And so for us, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is there anything in our life that isn't comprehensive and complete to the will of God and you know it and he's been convicting you of it he's been speaking you of it speaking to you about it you've been noticing it in your quiet time on the music on the radio people that you talk to it's just like this blinking light that's not a coincidence see if you're covered by the blood of the lamb you are different to make a difference that's that's it And so the point um, is is on your notes. It's this. Following God completely with pure motives is going to make you stand out. You know what? Because people aren't doing that. The majority of the people aren't living with pure motives on the job site. They aren't living. That's why you always feel like you're outside of the circle, like you just don't fit in. I mean, as a middle schooler, elementary school student, as a high school or even as a college student, man, just never, never felt like I fit in. Felt like, a, you know, feel like that? Like I'm like always just kind of right out here. And every time, now looking back, every time that I felt like that I was able to break into the in crowd, doggone, we would move. It happened in, in second grade. It happened in, um, in fifth grade. It happened again in seventh grade. It happened again my senior year. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And on and four years ago, guess what? The Lord moved us again because He wants to keep us dependent on Him. He didn't ever want us to feel like we've got it all together and we're part of the in crowd. 
Because narrow is the way that leads to life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Any dead fish can float downstream. So even though I don't like it, God continues, and I see this now, He continues to push me to swim upstream. And every time I get comfortable on the lazy river of life, and I start to kick back, I hit one of those jets, and it spins me around. I start going the other direction. Y'all with me? Following God completely with pure motives will make you stand out. It's okay. You're going to be different. So I was thinking about this, you know, try to come up with an illustration to help this stick. And this is it. Why would Jesus be baptized? How, how does this all fit together with being in complete obedience to the Father, even though he didn't have to? Well, think about it like this. Let's say that my dad <clears throat> was the chef of a fancy hotel. And let's say that my dad had this standard that nobody ate at the buffet unless they had proof of their room and they had a meal ticket. And so I don't have to have those things. I can walk in and I can eat because I have the privileges as the son because my father has willed everything. But because my father has willed that everyone must show their room key and that meal ticket, guess what I do? I stand in line. And I pay the ticket and I show my room key because I want my obedience to my father's standards to be comprehensive and complete. Does that make sense? And so I do that. If what pleases my dad is the room key and the meal ticket, then I'm showing my room key and the meal ticket because I want to be under the authority of the will of my father. And so this summer, if you're going to run well, be prepared to go against the grain. You be prepared to swim upstream from what others think you should be doing in order to get to the center of God's will. You guys write this down as we're working through it. Jesus was baptized because obedience to the Father was most important. And so for us to run well this summer, I want you to live, and I want you to run, and I want you to vacay, and I want you to beach and pool and, and water park, and, and I want you to do, you know, I want you to work, I want you, you know, I want you to do all those things like you believe nothing is more important than honoring God with the time that He's given you, because time is short. And you never know those unexpected things that God has put in your path in order for Him to show up and show out and answer your prayers in a way that you've never dreamed. So yeah, you've got to be on the lookout. Yes, with pure motivations, you're going to stand out. You may find yourself at the Dead Sea. Like, what in the world am I doing here? And that's exactly where God meets you. But there's a third thing. Go out with God's blessings. We are not doing this on our own. Amen. We're not doing it on our own. Look at verse 10. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open 
and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. See, Jesus was being baptized to prove that his ministry was official. I mean, this was the stamp. This was the, this was the notary right here. Why is it any time that you need a notary, nobody knows a notary? But any time that you don't need a notary, everybody's carrying their notary thing in their purse. Y'all with me? I don't need it now. So I'm going to, you know, in search of, is there anybody that can notarize something? When do you need it? Yesterday! Why is that? This was the, of the royal coronation that the king was coming. This right here was the stamp that it was about to be on. And John the Baptist was telling everyone that the king was coming to offer salvation to all men. And right here it was happening in the Jordan River at the lowest point on earth. Y'all get this. At the lowest point on earth, around the Dead Sea, which is, which is a sea that's so salty parts per million that nothing can live there it's a place of death so Jesus comes to be baptized to usher in his earthly ministry in an area that is a picture of death with a message that he is coming to bring the death back to life amen God is in the details and Jesus was baptized around others that wanted to be on God's side man that is a comfort to us because what that tells me is this, that it was though the commander-in-chief had come to the front lines. The commander-in-chief fastened his bayonet, tightened his belt, strapped on his helmet, and he jumped in the trench along with the rest of us. Amen? Right there at the Sea of the Dead Sea, right there at the end of the Jordan. And right when he did that, right there, Look at that. As soon as he came up out of the water, as soon as, as soon as he did that, his Father in heaven, who had sent him for this very combat, signified that his presence would be with him into the end of the age. And the presence of God, the power that would guide him and lead him and be with him as he strapped on his armor for combat, as he made his way to the cross, the Spirit ascended on him like a dove. A dove did not land on Jesus' head. It doesn't say that. What this imagery is like is explains the gentleness because a dove is very gentle. It coos, you know, you hear it. That's why you release them at weddings at white, you know. And some guy across the field is waiting with a shotgun. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, it's a picture of purity, right? It's a picture of gentleness, and what this shows us is when, when Jesus stepped into the role, as he went into combat, the Spirit of God was gently wrapped him like a warm blanket. He said, I'm going to comfort you, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Man, God is faithful. You know, when Isaiah made that decision, he makes it public. I want you to know that the Spirit of God He's going to wrap his arms around you. And he's going to lead you gently. Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God is gentle? You know, sometimes we need that. Right? I know I do. 
But the Spirit of God will, will nudge us, and it will prod us, and it will comfort us as we draw into Him. It doesn't smack us around. It doesn't shake us violently. It doesn't make us do flips and all that stuff. The Spirit of God nudges us to will and to work for His good purposes. And what we see right here is the Trinity of God. We see the Godhead in the same place. We say these words when we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. See, it is the Spirit of God that draws us to the knowledge of the Son who has come to reconcile us with the Father. It is a work of all three to which salvation being justified by faith comes. All three is in that work. And we see it right here. Right here is evidence of the Trinity. So apologetically, if people say, well, the Trinity is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's in Mark chapter 1. All three were right there. See, the Son in His humanity was physically standing in the water. The Spirit visibly comes down to Jesus like a dove. And the Father gives His blessing from heaven. It's right there. That's significant. Jesus did not become the Son of God in that moment. That's false teaching. That's not what this is saying. Not like he was, you know, just a human and then God somehow divinely infused him with divinity. That's not what happened. He's always the Son of God. Colossians 1 says everything is held together by him and through him before the foundations of the earth was laid. So Jesus has always been God. But what we see right here is he was declared by the Father and empowered as the Son as the suffering servant started his mission. And it's right here at the water's edge that he crowned Jesus. It's right here at the water's edge that the Father said, I am well pleased with everything that was done. The beautiful picture is this. The one at the water's edge that had no sin was publicly being identified with those that had no righteousness. That is a picture for us right there. Jesus submitted to a baptism designed for, sin for sinners as a symbol of what was coming. Buried in the likeness of Jesus. Raised to walk. There's a transition there. I, th I love the way this baptistry is designed because as you go through the water, you are symbolizing death to rescue. Think about when God parted the waters at the Red Sea for the Israelites. He could have rescued them in any way he wanted to. But he parted the waters to symbolize on this side, there was imminent judgment and death. Pharaoh was after him, right? But they went through the waters. They experienced rescue. And on the other side, they experienced freedom. So baptism is a symbol that you have moved from judgment and death and pursuit of the enemy to the righteousness and hands of a holy God. Amen. So moving through. And so the fact that he would submit himself to a death is amazing. A death deserved by sinners. He's identifying with what he came to do. He's putting his stamp on the mission. He took it before the commander of the Lord's armies. And he stamped it. And he said, yes, this is what we're about to do. So this is the last thing. 
Y'all write this down. <clears throat> Symbolically, Jesus' baptism looked forward to the cross just as Christians' baptism now looks back to the cross. And I hope that on Sunday, we've had a lot of baptisms this year. I hope that when you experience this, what it does, it takes your mind back to the cross. Back to the cross. I might throw something else on you you might want to write down, so don't shuffle and pack up just yet. Okay? It's called the Baptist shuffle. Y'all hold tight. God might show up in these last two minutes, and you're like, man, where's my pen? I already put it away. Y'all hang with me, okay? Don't check out, because God might show up in an unexpected place. You know where? Maybe at the end of a sermon. I like it. This is a beautiful thing right here. It says, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father gave us an example in a beautiful way of what every child needs to hear. And it's these words, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I'm going to tell you, that will change a kid's life. You'll be, you will be floored at the amount of people that I talk to that say these words, especially around funerals. I never heard my dad tell me he loved me. Never heard my dad say he was proud of me. I mean, I know he did. He provided for me. He did all these things. But I never heard the words. Church, tell your kids you love them and you're proud of them. Daddy, speak life into your kids by saying, hey, baby, I love you. I know you're 20. I know your name's Parker, but baby, I love you. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That will bring so much relief to a child. Don't allow your children to get to the end of your life and say at a funeral, my mom and dad never told me that I... They love me. They never put their love and arms around me. They never held me close. Dad, it is okay to hug your dad. Throw your arms and say, Daddy, I love you. Even if he's never said it to you, it just does something. Even this morning, as, 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 before the service, Sadie was going through the office. I love to do this to my girls because it kind of puts them on edge. I'll say, Sadie! She'll go, what? I'll say, I love you. Now they know the drill, okay, because I don't yell at them. I yell to them. And so, it's good just to be reminded, my daddy, my mama loves me and they're proud of me. That's what God did to the son. Son, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm stamping the approval, your own mission, and I'm with you every moment. Wow, what a moment in time. Amen? And so as we wrap up, I want you to run well this summer. I hope that's the desire of your heart. To run well this summer. Well, how do you do it? Well, first of all, you submit to the will of the king in every area. Comprehensive and complete submission. Because if there's any area that you are not in submission to, there are consequences because you have taken the king off the throne. Maybe you're like Isaiah and you've realized that God has been in pursuit of you because you haven't surrendered to him with your life as king. And there's consequences due. There's always consequences when you rebel against the authority. God is the creator of all. So maybe you need to surrender your life this morning to the lordship of Jesus and be baptized. Maybe you've made a decision for Christ. 
at some point in the past, but you've never been baptized. You've never had that public demonstration that Jesus is my king. And I want to give him his rightful place. Maybe there's an unexpected place God, you, God has you in right now, and you're fighting it. And you just want to settle your spirit, trust in his comfort, and look for him to work. And I pray that you have courage there. Maybe you're leaving tomorrow, going out of town somewhere. Don't let that flat tire get you. Don't let, don't, don't, you know, don't let that small detail confuse you. Don't let that guy, that, that, that creeper guy, startle you. Because it might be an opportunity for you to look out, stand out, and live with some pure motives in the eyes of the Father. Amen. Let's pray together.